0: Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. Uh, I'm Ros Clark, I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. And as always for our book review podcast I'm joined by Amanda Robbie. Hello everyone. (laughs) Lovely and this month we have been reading Jen Wilkins' book None Like Him, 10 Ways God is Different from Us and Why That Is a Good Thing.
1: Uh, Tell us what this book is about Amanda. Well it is a book of doctrine but it's not boring
0: gosh there you go a book about doctrine that is not boring it's a book uh, specifically about what uh, in technical terms is called theology proper that is to say it is about God it is the doctrine of God and she picks on a a very specific uh, set of that so it's not about the Trinity it's not about uh, God as saviour she picks on um she uh, what again? The technical term for which would be the incommunicable attributes. That is the things which God is that we are not. So, what's what sort of things uh, is she talking about? Well, yes,
1: uh, things with long, often yes. involving long words. So, uh, infinite and involving in. So, infinite, incomprehensible, self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal, immutable, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and sovereign.
0: Yes. And and I like that she um, she sort of has a little e- explanation of what those things are, um, mostly in terms of infinite. So the God of infinite mystery and infinite creativity and infinite sameness. So it gives you a, a little kind of clue as to what those kind of chapters are going to be about. Amanda, as you were reading this, were there things that you had not thought about before? I don't know that in our churches we talk a lot about these sort of
1: attributes of God. No, I think that I wasn't sort of surprised by anything. and I hadn't thought, oh, God's not like that. Yeah. But I think it's that, this idea that God is like that and we aren't, that contrast that she Mm. is very, very clear about and helpful, uh, which I hadn't really given much thought to. Um, So, you know, of course I know that God is omniscient, he sees everything, he knows everything, but... The way that she puts it out and the way she thinks <clears throat> helps us to think about that. Yeah, really helpful and um, challenging.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think there are things that that probably, um, you know, all of us who are, are sort of relatively mature Christians would be able to put our hands up and say, "Yes, I, I do think God is like that." Mm. But as you say, we may not have really thought about what the implications are of that. What does it really mean that God is infinite, for example, or that God is eternal? And, and by contrasting that with us who are not, um, we see that more clearly. And so that's the sort of structure of each chapter, isn't it? She sort of begins by explaining what God is and then talks about um, what it is like when we try to be like that. Yeah. When we try to um, rival God, as she puts it. So when we think about uh, ourselves as Self sufficient
1: yeah.
0: uh, or immutable. Um, that was one which was a real sort of um, intake of breath moment for me because obviously I know God does not change and I do change. But she points out that a thing some of us may quite often say is, I can't do that, I can't change, I'm just the way I am. And and I was like, yeah, I definitely say that. Whereas the reality is I can change. Yes, And I should change.
1: And I am not God who does not need to change and does not change. Yeah, she she talks about always or never to other people and also to ourselves, you know, you always leave your socks on the floor or...
0: uh, Yeah, you never remember to shut the door when you go out. And yes. the reality is, God is the only person we can actually say always
1: or never to. God always keeps his promises. God never um, forgets his word. Yes. And, and one of the things that is wonderful about this book is the quality of the writing. Yeah. The, the way that she phrases things. And I went, I had a highlighter when I was reading this. I just wanted to highlight pretty much every paragraph. But uh, on that uh, chapter about immutability, she says... As she talks about God, the Rock, the Rock of our salvation, she says, "Our God of infinite sameness is a rock." It Just beautifully mm. encapsulates that that the whole doctrine there. So, yeah, it's, I agree. It's I've, a quote very quotable book.
0: It is. I've I've um, complained before about some of the poor quality writing that we put up with in some Christian books, um, and this this really shows that you can write mm. about big complicated difficult doctrine and do it in a way that is so readable very accessible and as you say very beautifully written it's you know it's a it's a really really great book in in so many ways isn't it I wonder um Amanda if you just want to pick out one or two of the things uh that particularly struck you about uh what God is like that they're encouraging to you
1: Yes, well, as I said, it's all very quotable and I could go through the whole bit. Um, I think the self-sufficiency of God was uh, something I'd probably not really thought about in great detail before, um, but also contrasting that with our neediness and that mm-hmm. actually we're created to need uh, particularly um, other people yeah. and relationships. And and that is, um, but that God does not need our relationship. He didn't make us because He needed us to love. Mm. So there's a real beauty in that. Um, and uh, He talks about uh, yeah, the the energizer. God is not God in the flesh was not a human vi- version of the energizer bunny. Yes, uh, to set aside the plate spinning, ball juggling, pink bunny idolatry of self sufficiency <laughs> that we can keep going by ourselves, uh, not needing. Anything. Only God is self-sufficient. Only God has no needs.
0: Absolutely. I I um, uh, have made a note on that page as well. You know, we're not needy because of sin. We're needy by divine design. Mm. And as you say, that's such a countercultural thing um, in our society where where we're taught to want to be independent, um, financially independent, but but also sort of emotionally independent and. Um, even within families and certainly within communities, we we feel like it's a sign of weakness or failure to admit that we need other people. Um, I like that she, she has several um, ways of helping us see how we might have a false uh, self-sufficiency, both in terms of relying on God and others. So if we've stopped relying on God, we'll be prayerless, we'll be forgetful, we'll get angry in trials, we won't be convicted by personal sin. And if we're denying our need for other believers, we'll avoid the Christian community, we'll conceal the true state of our lives, we won't be accountable, we won't be humble, and actually we'll get exhausted, uh, existing in a constant state of anxiety and weariness. If that's you, uh, then uh, maybe you need to reflect more on the
1: self-sufficiency of God and the neediness of people. She concludes that chapter, blessed are those who need yeah, and most blessed is he who supplies all our needs according to his riches and glory.
0: yeah, there you go. Um yeah, very um uh, striking um challenge to us, isn't it? um i think i'm just looking at uh, a chapter which again i think we were both <laughs> particularly struck by was a chapter on omniscience so we know it's true that god knows everything uh god is not merely knowledgeable he is omniscient limitless in his knowing he knows all things not because he has learned them but because he is their origin learning would be a a, a thing that implied he needs change but actually he d- we know he doesn't change we know he doesn't need to learn we know he knows everything What about us?
1: Yes, (laughs) she says, she says, Jen Wilkins says, there is a difference between healthy learning and information gluttony. Yes. I don't know. Do you know any information gluttons? (coughs) That would be those of us who are, you know, always with a book in our hands. Or or, or, or scrolling through Twitter. Yes, I think Ros and I (laughs) may know a couple of people like this. Uh, and, she, and Joan Welcome say, says yeah. the difference between that healthy learning and information gluttony. One is about being fully human. Mm. The other is about craving limitlessness. Yeah. And our unsati- insatiable desire for information is a clear sign that we covet the divine omniscience. We want all the facts. But as finite beings, we are not designed to have them. No. And we have to be OK with that. Yes. We have to be
0: OK that we don't know everything and we won't know everything and we don't need to know everything. And I think, um, I mean, you mentioned uh, Twitter there, which, I mean, at any given time of day, you're quite likely to find one or other or both of us there. I think it's a thing that, that we've maybe talked about before um Amanda, just the issue of knowing news from all over the world in a way that we didn't used to. And you can sort of see that we're not designed to be able to cope with it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's actually the sort of geographical finiteness of us is a protection for our sort of emotional and, and mental health. Yes,
1: yeah, she speaks about this, doesn't she? About um, about our limitedness, actually, in another chapter about... Um, Omnipresence mm. about being limited by geography, yes, um, and about being able to be fully present. And the temptations of the internet is that we don't have to be present to be engaging with information,
0: or that we can sort of be present everywhere.
1: Yes, and and we
0: or, can't, but
1: never fully present. Yes. Uh, and she talks about observing God's good boundaries for how much information we can process, mm. and how much time it takes to process it in ways that result in action and empathy. So one of the problems is. If you're touched by news from too many places, you cannot devote enough yeah. action and empathy to any of it. You're, you're, you're overwhelmed. And I, that's certainly, I, I yes. find, a, a product of this information age. And if there's a big disaster somewhere in the world, it, of course it's terrible. But then you start processing it in much deeper ways than you would have done if you'd just read it in the newspaper. Yes. Or, or it, 200 years ago heard about it a long time afterwards.
0: Exactly. And, you know, while it's a wonderful thing in many ways to be able to connect with people all over the world, it means that that many of those things also then begin to feel more personal. So, for example, uh, when the hurricane attacked Puerto Rico uh, mm. last year, I don't know anyone who lives in Puerto Rico. And I, you know, it was obviously a, a really awful thing and very destructive. But actually, someone who I'm quite good friends with on Twitter uh, that's where she's from, her mother was there, there was quite a, you know, a, a period of time where they weren't sure where the mother was going to be able to get a flight out, where they, you know, didn't have contact, they didn't know what was going on. And suddenly you're personally involved in stories which, you know, as you say, in a different generation, we wouldn't have been and therefore they wouldn't have had the same impact. And I think we we do need to be careful that we're yeah. not trying to know everything in that way.
1: Yeah, Jen Wilkins says... Uh, says there's there's a lie here we believe that we have access to limitless information we will have more peace of mind (laughs) but actually what it does is it creates more anxiety in us because actually the world is full of sin and sadness Mm. and we have more more and more access to that and that's perhaps Mm. why um our teenagers are suffering exponential amounts of anxiety because they know too much they have too much information Yes,
0: very helpful. Um, I did. I really liked uh, a little bit in this chapter where she has a little go at um, Apple products. I, d- I don't think she specifically thinks Apple are any uh, much worse than Android or, or Windows or whatever. But she says there is a good reason why Apple's products, iPod, iTunes, iMac, iPhone, all share that common lowercase letter. At first glance, we assume the letter I stands for information, but of course it doesn't stand for anything information is not what apple's products make much of they make much of i in response to moses's magnificent rhetorical question who is like you O oh lord apple has blithely and unflinchingly answered as all humanity has since the garden i am i was just like yeah actually it is the there is also that it's all about me i can curate my feed i can be in charge of everything that I listen to and everything that I watch and and that feeds my uh, ego um, in all kinds of ways. Um, One of the things I I thought was good about this book, I must admit I didn't have time to do it because I was reading it uh, just over the last couple of days so that we could talk about it, were the um, sections at the end of each chapter. Yes, very much so. Um, So in the first chapter, she sort of gives some ideas of, of how you would use that. So she has sort of a a handful of verses and suggests that you might um, get a journal in which you copy or paraphrase each of the verses for meditation. Uh, Note what each adds to your understanding of the attribute covered in the chapter. And then uh, there are some questions which you can answer. And then um, uh, a sort of writer prayer. Um, And the the writer prayer always begins with uh, a sort of confession um, and then some asking God to show you how to change and praise uh, for God for
1: his attribute that he has yes I, I liked this it's, it's quite Anglican to have written prayers isn't it <laughs> yeah and I, I think there's a real there there is a real discipline in doing that when you write mm. something down you could as I was going through the book again also at pace so I didn't really mm. have time to do the journaling side of it but I, I was sort of praying some of these things in my head as I just reflected on the question mm. but that's very different from writing it down because you have committed mm. yourself to paper uh, it, it does it, I think it would be a very helpful thing to do.
0: I think that's right and writing your answers to the questions as well and, and as you meditate on those verses to really let some of these lessons sink in um, and not just rush straight to the sort of application for us but also spend time reflecting on the the sort of awe and and wonder that God uh, is God. I can't remember which chapter it was, but she has that little illustration of being at some amazing um, place with beautiful landscape and scenery. And there's a a couple there with their eight-year-old son who's playing a video game on his phone and and not looking at it. But that idea of just stopping to to, um, be awestruck by the God... Um, who is all of these things that we are not
1: yeah.
0: i think that's something that i i felt like i wanted to go back and do um after reading this book it was not just move straight on to it to me but actually stop and and think about him
1: yeah and this is a book about god and i think that's the that that the mm. key thing is that it, it raises your eyes to the lord and his character his attributes and particularly Though when it, when you're thinking about attributes of God which are not like mm. us, it sort of you know makes your eyes open wide. Really, you yeah. you you are one. You start to wonder, and awe was the thing she talks talks yeah, about, she isn't does. she? At, yeah. uh, in when she's talking about, I think that chapter with <laughs> yes, that I I can't remember we which can't one it was chapter, <laughs> um, but yes, but yes. She, um it's uh, th- that we do. It's very easy not to have that awe yeah. because. Uh, we live in this um, this world where everything is not, you know, we, we're, we're thinking that things aren't so big, and we yeah. want to cut things down to size, and we want to make God like us. Exactly, is... we we
0: make God, uh, yeah, someone who is like us in mm. lots of ways, and and then miss, yeah, miss miss who he he really is. Mm. So I guess, and we've talked um, about the sort of content of the book. Mm. It is a book about um doctrine Uh, and as you say a book about doctrine which is not boring which is quite a rare thing and i would say i mean we were trying to think earlier about whether there are other popular level books um you know this is very readable i think you could give this to to many people very readable
1: and very applied as well so it's not a a, a tone where you think oh well that was interesting but But what do i yeah yeah.
0: Yeah. exactly i mean it changed it's going to change the way that you pray, it's going to change your attitudes to all kinds of things. It may yeah. uh, change you in all kinds of ways.
1: Um, so who, who would we recommend would read this? Yeah, I would think a, a keen Christian yeah. who wants to know God better and to know more of him. Um, yeah, I you think... You m- might use it in a, in a small group because it has this, you know, read a chapter, yeah. do the reflection, come together and share... I think would be quite a, yes. an encouraging thing to do. Could be lovely.
0: Yes, I agree. Um, I think that's right. I don't. I don't know how keen a Christian you'd have to be. I mean, I think you know. Obviously, you have to be willing to keen read enough a, to read to a read Christian a book. book. Yes, <laughs> um, but I. I think. Um, I mean, I. I could sort of imagine a, uh, you know, a reasonably keen teenager could mm. read this. Yeah. Uh, somebody who just really, uh, yeah, wants to know more about God. I. I would just say, well, that's that's the book to put it in your hands. Why is it important? Because we don't do, I think, in our churches, a lot of doctrine teaching. You know, in most evangelical churches, we get you know, systematic consecutive exposition of the scriptures. And I I am not saying in any way that we should stop doing that. But it can mean that, you know, like you were saying at the beginning, these are things which you sort of know, but have not really necessarily had time to to pause and reflect on properly. Not being
1: fully present with in in, uh, Jen Wilkins' language.
0: And I think that that is a sadness to me. I think we've got quite a lot of very doctrinally unclear and untaught people in our churches yeah. why is doctrine so important for people why why can't they just say well you know that's for you know my vicar to, to decide and i'll just I,
1: th- I think there's this thing where um we have um week by week we're learning the scripture we 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 know more of god through that way but uh putting that together is something we don't do mm. um some of us might but mm. You know, you might need five years of expository preaching to put together some sort of doctrine of who mm. God is. So to have it accessible and then to be listening with that in mind, mm. I think it, it can be really helpful because you are you're able to say, oh, okay, yes, this is reminding me of God's immutability, or or that mm. um, I need to change, but God doesn't, mm. I, or it, you know that I I need God, um, yes. but He doesn't need me. Those, all those things um, that we will we will hear are preaching differently if we have yeah. got that bigger view. It's a it's a sort of it's a big bird's eye view of of the whole of scripture, isn't it? Doctrine, that's what it is.
0: Exactly. And, and and working out how those things fit together. But I also think doctrine is the sort of bedrock for how we do ethics, for example, how we do um pastoral care. Um, you know, often these are not the kind of questions which you can simply say, right, here's a passage on that um, and let's look at it together and that will will tell us what we need to do in this situation. More often, you're having to kind of do, as you say, that big picture thinking, bringing things together, thinking, well, what do we know about what God is like? What do we know about the human condition?
1: What do we know about the salvation that's in Christ? And I think... um, Well, this is what makes the application in this book so good because it is big things about God and then oh, yes, well, that means that about us.
0: Exactly. It's not, oh, doctrine is just a theoretical thing up there. Actually, doctrine is is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. You know, if we say we, we believe in God, well, what God do you believe in? You know, we say we believe in the God of the Bible. That's great. What do you know about what that God is like? Yeah. Actually, do you know that he's someone you can trust? Well, actually, we do because we know he doesn't change. He's eternal. Yeah. He's omniscient.
1: He's omnipotent.
0: He has authority. All of those things. Just, okay, you just, can trust him then.
1: Just looking at the chapter on um, God is eternal, um, that the application is to let go of the past and let go of the future and to live fully, today fully. So a lot of us pastoral problems, people will be struggling to let go of the past or um, anxious about the future. Yeah, those are those are things which doctrine does really exactly. address. If you can
0: come in and say, well, okay, that I- that is how you feel because you are not eternal, but we have a God who is let's put things in that context let's understand what therefore it means uh, that he is in control there's there's great reassurance and relief from knowing that god is god and, and we are not mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in all kinds of ways um so i think i mean is it it is something um which i'm a bit sad that that we don't do more i guess not just in churches but in um things like conferences and and conventions and things. And I I wonder if... I don't know. um, Particularly uh, for women, I I sometimes feel... I don't know. You can tell me if your impression is similar, Amanda. Whether often I look at a sort of programme for a women's conference or convention or whatever, and it's it's sort of, here's a seminar on how to be a wife, and here's a seminar on how to be a mother, and here's a seminar on how to be a single person, and here's a seminar on how to, you know, live some aspect of your life. And it's not that it's not good to think about those things from a Christian point of view, of course, but I do wish sometimes we spent a bit more time thinking about God and being awed by him and that might help us a bit more in knowing how to be wives and mothers and... yes
1: I think I think that you know, women are often relational in the way they want to do theology so then we want to talk about our relationships and put the theology in it mm. but actually the, the key relationship is our relationship with the Lord and unless we know what he's like actually our, our theology is going to be impoverished yeah and i agree we we do need to do this sort of thing with in our conferences and um in our in our teaching programs in some you know, whatever way. we're doing
0: yeah so maybe we should get to the sort of what I feel is slightly the elephant in the room with this book just who would you say this book is marketed
1: at it's got pink flowers on the front who do
0: you think <laughs> yes it's got this nice mint green shiny cover with sort of Slightly dead-looking roses and other flowers yes, on it faded, um, and uh, the opening uh, introduction on becoming a God-fearing woman, and the closing reflection um, is about sort of being fearfully and wonderfully made. And I, you pointed this out, and I did love it that she begins the introduction and the uh, conclusion in the same way. If you had told me five years ago that I would one day write a book for Christian women, that had quote from different chapters different i probably would have punched you in the face and i i sort of thought from that moment oh i'm going to get on with you <laughs> <laughs> um so those two chapters at the beginning and the end they do set this in the context of being a book for women don't they
1: and yes and and quite possibly because of the the women's conference issue where she she quotes actually so uh, Proverbs 31 and Psalm 139 verse 14 are the two two uh, mm. scripture passages she used to say that they're often used in women's conferences mm. to encourage women that God loves them, I think yes. is the key thing.
0: And that they're worth it and that, you know, they're fearfully wonderfully made. And, you know, almost as though the biggest need that we have as women is bolsters to our self-esteem and um and i think um i i one of the things i have really enjoyed in the last couple of years has been bible journaling and i think a lot of bible journaling is done by american women who are in this same sort of um community and a lot of that is almost indistinguishable from sort of secular self-help it's you know tell yourself you know you're fearfully and wonderfully made and you know god loves you and you know everything um about you as special and and all this kind of thing um, i love that she describes it as a pink verse some of these verses that are um commonly used uh in in that kind of setting is it a pink verse um but she makes the point in that final chapter that actually the point of psalm one hundred thirty nine fourteen is not so much that we are fearfully and wonderfully made but that we should praise god who made us that way and actually the the psalm is not about us it is about god
1: and in fact she 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 finds all these attributes that she has uh, written about in the book in that psalm and she highlights them so it and says it's a psalm intended to inspire awe which is what we're saying that we want to be able to lift our eyes to the Lord mm. and be in awe. Absolutely. So I mean clearly this is a book that that is great for
0: women to read. If we were to to remove that introduction and conclusion that sort of put it in the context of of women uh, needing to, to fear God and to praise God. I don't think there's anything much in the sort of 10 chapters that deal with the 10 attributes that is specifically about no, being a
1: woman. She uses personal illustrations, but uh, men who write books do that as well from their perspective as a husband exactly. or, or father.
0: And, and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're mostly not illustrations, again, that are particularly about being a woman. There's no. some that are about being a parent, and there are some that are about being in a tornado yeah exactly or you know getting cancer i mean you know they're not things that are about how do i apply my mascara
1: i mean or whatever it's not it's not a girly (laughs) book it is a a wonderful uh wonderfully written and accessible and challenging book about who God is.
0: Yes, exactly that. So, I don't know whose decision that was. I mean Jen Wilkin has has written things before and I know she speaks at, at women's conferences and so on in America and and has that that ministry to to women. And and maybe this this is a book that she felt needed to be written specifically for women um or maybe the publishing company were kind of no we need to really market this for women otherwise
1: they won't read it
0: i mean do we think that's true will women only read books with with pink flowers on the cover
1: (laughs) i i would hope not but I, i would hope not too but if you are listening to this and you are a man yeah do not be put off by the cover no because it is a truly excellent book if you're a woman listening to this, and do not be put up off by the cover thinking it's going to be fluffy. Exactly. I think that's right.
0: I think, I mean, I'm a little bit sad if women will only read books that are somehow gendered in the way that they are marketed. And I'm a little bit sad if men will only do that as well. So and we, were, we were talking about Andrew Wilson's Incomparable as, as possibly a sort of equivalent popular level book that's, again, doing sort of theology proper. And the cover of that is... I mean, it's it's quite masculine, it's isn't gray it? It's grey with
1: a sort of yellow arrow, looking yeah. like a sort of sword end. So, yes.
0: yeah. I mean, you put the put the two books together, and you would not think they had much in common. Um, and I do think that's sad if Christian publishing has become very gendered, and and you know, you sort of notice that in the way that Bibles are produced these days, and and it, yeah, I I do slightly worry because we are Christians before we are men and women Um, and we are certainly
1: christians before we are wives and mothers yes and we we all need to know about the Mm. doctrine of god we need to be in awe of him and the more that that happens the the closer our walk with him will be great on which note please go and read this book none like him by jen wilkin
0: uh, and we'll be back next month i don't have we we
1: haven't decided we, haven't yet. Decided. we will have a, a post podcast <laughs> meeting to decide I we'll
0: expect. let you know what we'll be reading uh next month meanwhile if you've read none like him or indeed if you've read incomparable you have thoughts about that uh comments on what we've talked about we'd love to hear from you you can leave a comment on our facebook page you can tweet us at Church Society. You can email me, uh, ros at churchsociety.org. And please, if you're enjoying the podcast and you uh, think you know people who might also enjoy them, do share the link. Thanks for listening.